The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, May 17, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with the biggest news of the day. Severe Wheeler, a transfer from Georgia, has committed to Kentucky. He's a five foot ten point guard who averaged 14.0 points, 7.4 assists, and 3.8 rebounds per game this past season. It's a nice pickup for the Wildcats. So John Calipari will go from having zero high-level point guards on this past season's roster to having multiple guys who can play the position well on next season's roster. There's Severe Wheeler, obviously, but also Ty Ty Washington, a five-star point guard who committed to UK last week. Beyond that, uh, Davidson transfer Kellen Grady can comfortably serve as a secondary ball handler. So I'm really starting to like this Kentucky roster. The Wildcats should return Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, Dante Allen, Lance Ware, bringing two five-star freshmen, Ty Ty Washington, Damian Collins. Then they're adding transfers, Severe Wheeler, Kellen Grady, Oscar Shibwe, and C.J. Frederick. So now I have Kentucky ranked 14th in the preseason top 25 and one dead leg. Is that too high, too low, about right, or totally wrong? Temperature seems just right. I will say... I feel like if Kentucky had not been coming off the season it was coming off of, like let's say Kentucky would have been just like, say, a seven seed in the tournament uh, and just been fine and not been uh, just the up and down mess it was, I bet you'd have them top ten. I think some of your ranking there is informed a bit by what Kentucky wasn't last season, even though most of those pieces aren't returning. Thoughts on that? Uh, maybe, you know, you are aware that you're asking a team that I think went nine and 16 last season to suddenly be one of the 15 best teams in the country. Now, when the roster has been overhauled as much as this roster has been overhauled, it's not too much to ask, but sure. I I can, I, I can accept the idea that if Kentucky were coming off of a good season and then coming back with this roster, maybe we do look at it, I include myself in this, as as a consensus top 10 preseason team. You might not be wrong at all on this, by the way. In fact, we might even look up and say, and I don't think this is what's going to happen, but if we look up and, and Kentucky is just fighting to even get top 25 status on a week-by-week basis, um, who knows? Uh, this is certainly a very intriguing roster. That's undeniable. And with Wheeler committing, a couple thoughts on this. One he leaves Georgia, and, and Tom Crean's dealing with uh, just a, more transfers than even the average power conference program, and Crean has not gotten it going there significantly since he took over. Um, but it is interesting in that Wheeler, he's going to leave a spot where, you know, he was uh, an elite distributor, you know, led the SEC uh, in assists, was top five in assists per game last season, 5.8 times. Uh, and overall, like he might not start for Kentucky next season, which leads to my other point. The other story here is that John Calipari is going 
not all in, but he is fully committed to the biggest deficiency from last season. I know we mentioned this on a couple podcasts ago, so we don't need to get into a whole diatribe about it. But we have to. We just have to bring this up. Ty Ty Washington, who was committed since we last uh, podcasted, him coming in and probably figuring to be a starting level player. But between him and Grady, CJ Frederick coming from Iowa, our own David Cobb pointed this out as well. With Wheeler committing, GP. Kentucky has four of what Cobb evaluates as the top 50 transfers that have committed in the sport this season, which is frankly how it should be. It's Kentucky there. But, as he also says, there's no excuses for Kentucky to stink again. And, and that's absolutely correct. When you throw in Shebway coming from West Virginia, a really quality uh, incoming class, freshman class that is, and then you get Keon Brooks back, you got to figure Dante Allen, Jacob Toppin. They showed good flashes there. There's a lot here, and and Cal certainly. You've got them 14th. I think they've got the roster to validate that ranking, and and even more so. Like, I think Kentucky fans. I don't think I know, and, and particularly the ones that are listening. Like, they don't want to hear. Like, Calipari is going to have to get a new line, and you basically know every single one of his lines, GP. But he cannot be coming out in the second week of December being like. These guys are still learning. I'm not concerned. I, I'm not getting off this train. The Kentucky, I'm not saying it has to start off 13-0 and or anything like that, but uh, it has to show you know relatively quick uh, dividends and, and rewards from this roster. There will be serious hell to pay if we're looking up two weeks after Thanksgiving and Kentucky, say, is not even ranked or is just showing some of the, the issues it had a season ago, which I don't think that it will. Well, if you look at last season's team, there were two obvious problems. Now, there were more than two problems, but two obvious ones. Um, they were too young. You know, they were too heavily reliant on guys who had never really done anything or much at the Division One level, and they could not shoot. Now, some of this was, you know, they, they had a limited offseason because of the pandemic, and so their five-star freshmen didn't get all of the things that five-star freshman would get under normal circumstances. I do think that played a significant role, but really young, couldn't shoot. Well, now they're old and they can shoot. Like they, they cleared that up via the transfer market. Like CJ Frederick is a third year player who shot 46% from three as a freshman and 47% from three as a sophomore. Oscar Shibway is a third year player who was the leading scorer and leading rebounder for a top 10 Kimpom team two seasons ago at West Virginia. I think sometimes people forget that. Like when he transferred, um, announced his transfer to Kentucky, I think I tweeted something along the lines of former West Virginia star Oscar Shibway and a bunch of people, West Virginia fans mostly, pushed back on the word star. Like, really? A star? And I'm like, he wasn't great this season, I acknowledge. But a year ago, he was the leading scorer and rebounder for a top 10 team in college basketball. That, that's a star. So he will be a third year player in the Kentucky program. Kellen Grady's a fifth year player who has already scored 2000 career points. And that's with just a 22 game season last season. Grady also shot 38.2% from three last season. So there's another shooter on the roster. Plus he's six, five and can reasonably play the one, two or three at Davidson. He, alternated between the one, two, and three. So you add a shooter in Frederick. You add a shooter in Grady. You add a proven, accomplished big in Shibway. And then you add a natural point guard in Severe Wheeler. 
And then you've got still the two five-star freshmen in Ty Ty Washington, Damon Collins. Like this is one, this isn't John's most talented team and it won't be John's best team, but you've got a team that is much more balanced than some of John's teams have been in recent years. Uh, This team will not um, be an incompetent shooting team. This team will not be too young. Is this team going to have three lottery picks? Probably not, but on paper, at least, it looks like a really good college basketball team to me. We'll have plenty of time to get into this uh, leading into the season and obviously during the season when we see what results warrant. But my last thought on this is when I look at the roster for Kentucky, as what you were just, you know, pointing us toward here, I just – and a lot of Kentucky rosters have been different in different ways, right? But there's the over the dominant theme is normally he's got at least two lottery picks, sometimes three, and sometimes as many as you know four or five draft picks on a on a, on a given roster. We don't know how what that number is going to be for next season, but when you combine the point guards, the shooting, the age, the transfers, and this is a reflection of the sport. I get that. This is a unique roster situation compared to anything else John has had at Kentucky, and I think. Uh, I think that's why I'm going to be as intrigued or nearly as intrigued with Kentucky next season as almost any other team because I just want to see how this works. I would anticipate, I would anticipate, and I don't know if this is something Kentucky fans are going to enjoy or not, but I don't even know if he'll have a, a consistent starting five. Like between Brooks, Allen, Washington, Grady, Shebway, eh, maybe Frederick, maybe Toppin. I mean, I could just see him him trying different things there. So, uh, ultimately, Kentucky, to me, looks to be about eight deep at this point. We'll see obviously where that goes as well. But uh, it is intriguing, and, uh, and I don't object to where you've got him ranked. Yeah, there's a lot of options. But, like, the main thing, if you're a Kentucky fan, you need to focus on, I think, is that you now have the players, the personnel available to have multiple ball handlers on the court at all times and multiple shooters on the court at all times. Like, however you want to do it. You can do that. Like, you could run out Severe Wheeler with Ty Ty Washington and uh, Kellen Grady, and you've got three guys who can handle the ball and three guys who can shoot on the court together. That's nice. That's really valuable at the collegiate level. If you uh, you, you, you want to go smaller, you can play C.J. Frederick with two of those three. Fine. Now you just upgraded in shooting. You've gotten smaller, but you've upgraded in shooting. Um, I, like, that's, to me, the key. Like, John, some of John's best teams – had multiple ball handlers on the court most of the time. You know, 2010, John Wall, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, 2015, I guess that's Tyler Eulis, Andrew Harrison. Like, some of John's best teams, some of the best college basketball teams in recent history, they can shoot and they got multiple ball handlers on the court at most times. This Kentucky team now has the personnel to be old, to have multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time and to have multiple shooters. Sometimes, I mean, if you really want to go small and you you can in college basketball, how about Severe Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington, CJ Frederick, uh, Kellen, uh, um, Kellen Grady, and Oscar Sheboy in the middle. Now you've got a dominant big and four shooters with three ball handlers on the court. Yeah. Like that's that's interesting. So a lot of different ways John can go, but that that's that's the that's the good news today and should be the headline. With the addition of Severe Wheeler, now Kentucky has, uh, I think, most of the pieces necessary to play different ways, to shoot it, to attack, and to be really really good. It's a good day for Kentucky. It's been a good off season for Kentucky. Kentucky is not. The only program that added a nice piece in recent days, though, Gonzaga did it as well. In fact, the Zags added a former Kentucky recruit. His name's Noah Hickman. So now Mark Few's program 
I've got them ranked number one in the preseason top 25 and one. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Kentucky isn't the only program that added a nice piece in recent days. Gonzaga did it too. The Zags have added former Kentucky recruit Noah Hickman and now Mark View's program. I've got him ranked number one in the preseason top 25 and one. I was willing to go with somebody else, specifically UCLA, in the first nine versions of the top 25 and one. But by adding another high-level piece, I just don't see how anybody wouldn't rank the Zags number one now. Here's the possible starting lineup. Nolan Hickman, Andrew Nimhard, Hunter Salas, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren. That's strong, strong, strong. That is Five consensus former top 50 prospects, three former five-star recruits. One player, Drew Timmy, is probably the preseason national player of the year. Another player, Chet Holmgren, might be the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft. On paper, I don't think anybody can match what Mark Few has right now. Do you think anybody can match what Mark Few has right now on paper? No, I think we're probably I think we're probably headed toward a situation here where You've got a near consensus again heading in as to who should be the number one team. Like it was Gonzaga to a certain extent. Then it got beat the way it got beat in the title game against Baylor. And so at the time, you and some others just did a little break tapping on on that in the moment. But when you look at everything it has, yeah, that's probably, I mean... Yeah, I think that's probably correct there. There's just there's too much there. Plus, you know, you had UCLA one. I don't know what Johnny Juzang's going to do. I'd really love to see him come back. Um, so much so that I, I think that Juzang actually is good for uh, the sport in general. Like, I had someone who only really watched the NCAA tournament, and they were got to talking about UCLA with me on the phone four or five days ago. And uh, Johnny Juzang was like the Johnny Juzang. This is just kind of insight to sometimes the, co- the casual fan. Uh, the only three players. Uh, that my buddy knew were Johnny Juzang, of course, the guy with the mustache for Gonzaga, (laughs) Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs. So um, just a quick aside there, like UCLA, to be in the conversation, needs Juzang to return. I'll be interested to see if he's going to take advantage of his stock there and and what he's going to do. I I would... I would think he's going to go because it seems like he's never going to be hotter than he is now. But maybe he'll come back and you still have a case. If If he doesn't, then I think it's Gonzaga in a runaway there and... I mean, Hickman will be a, a, a solid piece, obviously. Uh, he's projected to probably start, uh, and, and good for him. But Gonzaga, big picture to me. It, it's Drew Timmy. Probably should be the preseason national player of the year. If he's not, then it might be that some think that Chet Holmgren might be so dominant uh, and hopeful that he kind of 
steals votes, if you will. And then I think that Andrew Nembhard is going to take a significant leap to a, from a level that he's already really, really good right now. And it's kind of it's it's those three, and then Hickman and Salas, if they can, you know, approach their potential, then yeah, look out, Gonzaga's the number one team. We had talked about this in a recent podcast, I think after the Zags got Chet Holmgren and Hunter Salas, but before 2020, if you missed that one for whatever reason, Gonzaga had only enrolled, let me be clear here, before 2020, last year, Gonzaga had only enrolled four top 50 prospects out of high school in history. The Zags will have six former top 50 high school prospects on next season's roster. Chet Holmgren, number one in 2021. Hunter Salas, number 18 in 2021. Andrew Nimhart, originally at Florida, number 23 in 2018. Nolan Hickman, number 29 in 2021. Drew Timmy, number 42 in 2019. And Tom Watson, number 48 in 2020. And I know the second the top 25 and one publishes because it's in the process of doing it as we record. And I tweet the link to it. A million people are going to remind me that Gonzaga has never won it all. And that's obviously true. Gonzaga has never won it all, but I went back and looked it up today. Gonzaga has won at least 31 games in five consecutive seasons played in two of the past four national title games. They have finished. This is the most remarkable part first or second at Ken Palm in four of the past five years. And the one year they didn't, they finished 10th. That's incredible. Again, I know Gonzaga still hasn't won a national title, but it's coming. I promise you it's coming. That's, that's what history tells us. You know, Mike Krzyzewski had four Final Four teams before he won his first national title with his fifth in 1991. John Calipari had seven Elite Eight teams, three Final Four teams before he won a national title with his eighth Elite Eight team and fourth Final Four team in 2012. Bill Self had four Elite Eight teams before he made his first Final Four, then won his lone national title in 2008. So what's the lesson? If you keep assembling great teams, and if you're trying to identify what makes K, Cal, and Bill Self three all-time greats, Hall of Famers, it is that they are remarkably gifted at assembling true title contenders almost annually. And if you keep doing that, eventually things break your way. And then you're holding the trophy on the first Monday night in April. Nobody is assembling great teams right now more consistently than Mark Few at Gonzaga. That's just a fact. So eventually I'll be shocked if they don't, get that national title because they've been banging on the door. They're going to keep banging on the door and eventually they're going to break through and it might just happen next April. How about this? So Nolan Hickman was originally committed, committed to Kentucky. Um, I, I almost feel like the roles are a bit reversed. Like we mentioned what Cal has from a roster perspective coming in next season, how it's just, it's uh, how, how that team is going to shape up and Kentucky's, expectations versus what it normally is versus what the roster is. It's just different. Gonzaga's in the, the Kentucky spot here. You know, Mark Few's never going to have, has never been in this spot, particularly just Gonzaga's been projected as the best team in college basketball heading into a season before that's happened, but not with this roster comprised with all this formerly highly rated talent. I'll be interested to see how Gonzaga performs in the first, obviously six, seven weeks, given it's, it's overall strength of schedule. 
I do think that Gonzaga is going to have a case to be the best team because it's going to have a case to have the best backcourt. So Hickman, who I've never seen play in person, I don't believe, um, he is regarded as a true point guard, distributor, um, savvy, heady player. You combine him with both Salas, combo guard, Nembhard, who can kind of do a little bit of everything there. And then you just throw in like, and then you throw in the, your two best players in the front court, probably, in Holmgren and Timmy. Well, here, it's, it's just, it's just wild, you, man. Well, you're like Gonzaga might have the best backcourt. I'm like, well, then they got the best front court. I, I know, I know. I, <laughs> so. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's it's, and I don't want to overreact in the middle of May here. Uh, but if again, if Hickman can step in. And he's gonna wind up. They got Rasir Bolton out of Iowa State coming to Gonzaga as well. Like they've got, a, they've got a lot there. They they probably need to be the number one team. Uh, I I think just objectively speaking here, that's you got to put what happened last year a little bit out of sight, out of mind, and look at what they have. And again, none of us are true soothsayers, but can we just look at what the roster is? Look at the coach. Look at Gonzaga's history. And yeah, Hickman's inclusion. If 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 you tell me he is. Uh, if he if he plays up to his expectation, then yeah, look out because he's not Jalen Suggs. That's not Jalen Suggs was the point guard, but he wasn't like an out and out point guard. Hickman, uh, by all accounts, is, and I'm sure Mark Few will uh, will welcome that because then he'll have also a, a good natural distributor in Nembhard as well, and that will make uh, the Zags a title contender yet again. You do mention something differently that I had not quite touched on yet is that. Okay, so just by the nature of recent developments, we are focusing most of, most of this podcast on Kentucky and Gonzaga, and they've kind of reversed roles a little bit here. Gonzaga might start three freshmen. Kentucky <laughs> will probably start one. Yeah. You know, Gonzaga used to be the team that would, you know, have a, a, a Cal Wiltshire transfer or Andrew Nimhart transfer, and they were relying heavily on transfers. Um, now Kentucky's relying heavily on transfers, and, and Gonzaga is the one with the number one prospect in America, not not John Calipari's Wildcats. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out. I don't think they intentionally flipped roles. It's just sort right. of the way these things have worked out. But um, the Zags will be more reliant on freshmen than the Wildcats will be. And that's certainly not normal for the past, you know, decade plus. Before we get out of here, Villanova's Jay Wright has been inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Congrats to him. It was announced this weekend no surprise. It would have only been surprising if he didn't make it this year. You know, Jay is one of only 15 Division I men's basketball coaches with at least two national titles. That alone was enough to get him in, right? Yeah, for sure. He had been on the ballot for a few years. Um, in fact, uh, so they you may not remember this, but the Hall actually changed its criteria for eligibility for coaches a few years back. This happened when Rick Pitino got fired from Louisville. He was an active coach in the Hall of Fame. And I think to for the Hall to better protect itself, I guess, against some of this stuff. Plus, I was told, you know, the coaches that are getting in at 52, even though, the, you know, most of them ultimately prove worthy. All of them prove worthy from an accomplishment standpoint. Like, their stories aren't done yet. So the new rules are you have to be 60 years old and you have to have served 25 years as an assistant or a head coach uh, before you can be under consideration um, at college or professional or high school level. It's 25 years and 60 years old. That's the new uh, rule. Now, Wright's 59. He won't be 60 until December. I think he got in because he was on the last ballot before they changed the rule. So I think he was grandfathered in. So yeah, he's obviously worthy. 
Uh, he was the AP's coach of the decade. He sits at 612 wins, has won 69% of his games. He has a 30-14 and 14, 30 and 14 NCAA tournament record. That's pretty damn good. He has 10 regular season titles, 6 conference tournament titles, and um, he's probably on, say, the 13th or 14th hole of his head coaching career. So we are obviously in agreement. Jay Wright, this didn't come too soon, right, JP? Like, it's kind of right on. The train's running on schedule. It's right on time. Whether it was this year or the next year, like, he's done enough at this point where we say that this is this is the right call, correct? Of course. Like, you know, I don't get too caught up on, you know, when you're on the ballot, when you're not on the ballot. I, you know, whatever. You change the criteria every year if you want. doesn't matter to me. Just when, when you are Jay Wright and you've got two national titles, and as you pointed out, Three Final Fours, 10 conference championships, six conference tournament championships. You're a two-time Naismith National Coach of the Year. You won um, eight conference Coach of the Year awards. You're the AP Coach of the Decade. In the past eight seasons, you've won seven Big East regular season titles and four Big East tournament titles. If you're on the ballot, how can somebody not vote for you? Like, I, don't, I wouldn't understand how you could say, you know what, I don't know if he's done enough yet. Like, what do you mean he could retire? If he retired today, five years from now, would you vote him into the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, sure. Then vote him today. Right. What are we talking about? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, and I'll have a little something on this on Tuesday. Here's what I want to do. I got 12 active coaches. Okay. I want you to go. Yes. No, just give it just, and then we can get into a couple of these guys and we can just hash it out real quick, but I'm going to, I want to rattle them. Okay. 12 in sure. a row. You're going to say, you're going to say whether they ultimately, you're just predicting Okay, whether they okay. ultimately get into the Hall of Fame. These are active coaches. I'm going to rattle them off. Yes, no. Okay, here we go. Got Ready? It, got it. Uh, this is alphabetical order, by the way. Here we go. Dana Altman. No. Rick Barnes. Yes. Tony Bennett. Yes. Mike Bray. No. Scott Drew. Yes. Mark Few. Yes. Leonard Hamilton. Maybe, but no. Okay. Ben Howland. No. Bob Huggins. Yes, and should already be there. Matt Painter? No. Kelvin Sampson? Maybe, but probably no. And Tubby Smith? I'm going to say no. All right, I'm going to lead off with Tubby Smith real quick here. 631 and 355 record, won 64% of his games. He's taken five schools to the NCAA tournament. Only what he, Rick Pitino, and Long Kruger have done that. He won the title in 98. He has seven regular season titles, but his last one came in 05 at Kentucky. He's won five conference tournaments, made 18 NCAA tournaments, and made the Sweet 16 in nine of those runs. He has more Sweet 16 runs than I think any other coach that I mentioned here, with the exception of Mark Few. He's currently coaching at his alma mater, High Point. 34 and 53. <laughs> it's not such a good run there. He is an interesting case. To me, the interesting cases are Tubby, Kelvin Sampson, uh, I agree with you, Huggins should be in. How about Howland? He has more Final Four appearances than anyone on the list that I mentioned. He has three of them, but he doesn't have a title. Leonard Hamilton is sitting at 599 and 438, but he's only he is one, his win percentage, I believe, is the lowest of any coach I gave you, 58%, which right. is terrible. Yeah. He's just got yeah, the lowest. Um, Scott Drew is the youngest, uh, and uh, Rick Barnes has the most. Huggins has the most wins. Rick Barnes, you said... Yes, to I, I said I said yeah. I think I, I think he's. I mean, what he did at Texas, just like n basically never missing the tournament. Right. He might need to do a little bit more. I acknowledge, like yeah. he might need to do a little bit more. 
and and on on Tubby, that's one where I could argue it either way. If you it's, it's if, if you made my if you made my homework assignment, make the case for Tubby Smith to be a Nate's Memorial Hall. I could make that case easy. I I I would lean toward no, but I would not object if he if he gets in. The two that are uh, up for discussion that are not active. Beeline, 754 and 425, won 64% of his games, made two title games, and Lon Kruger, who just retired. Uh, I just mentioned him and Tubby took five schools to the tournament. Pichettino is the only other one. He just did that with Iona. Kruger won 61% of his games, made two Final Fours. He went to 20 NCAA tournaments. Beeline went to 13. It gets pretty interesting. The overall picture here is that, to me, you've got right in, okay? Mark Few and Bob Huggins are just the next two. So, the, so again, consider you can't get there until you've been on the bench 25 years and you're 60 years old. Huggins is going to get in. He is just not in yet because he hasn't won a national title. But he is at 900 wins overall, 831 of them at the D1 level. He's won 78% of his games. He is the winningest coach not currently in the hall, active or otherwise. He's top 10 all-time in wins, been the two, title, two Final Fours, nine league tournament titles, 11 regular season titles, he hasn't had a regular season title since getting to West Virginia. Oh, by the way, he happens to share a conference with Kansas. But between Akron, Cincinnati, K-State, West Virginia, he's had a really, really good career. To me, it's just the fact that he doesn't have a national title that's, that's preventing him. He is going to get in, though. It's Huggins. Few can't be far behind because of what he's done at Gonzaga. But then Parrish, I think, I think we've got a chance here that we are going to go on a drought with active coaches, unless you tell me like, like Kruger's done and I don't think Kruger's going to get in. I don't think he will, uh, but maybe you never know it beeline. If he gets back into the game, like I think he's got a good shot because of what he did at Michigan. Um, I also think though, that weirdly the Cavs thing hurts him just a little bit. Remember it's the Naismith Memorial basketball hall of fame. It's not the college hall of fame, the NBA hall of fame. It's everything you've done in your basketball career. And the fact that he was an immediate flame out, I think weirdly might uh, might hurt Beeline, but I think he ultimately he ultimately gets in. But I think we're looking at Huggins, maybe Mark Few in the next two or three years after that. Maybe he doesn't have a national title yet, but you and I both agree like he's going best. He's won eighty four percent of his games. The second Mark Few is on the ballot, he gets voted in. He or should you're, be. Or, or you're a maniac. And correct. He has he is the winningest coach by percentage. I don't want to hear the haters. Shut up. An all time immense D one history. He's also the only coach ever to win eight or more conference titles uh, twice there. But after that, Parrish. Like, we, you know, Bennett's probably well on his way. Scott Drew is an interesting one. He just got his title. He's 50. Like, probably. You, if, if you win a title at, at Baylor, probably. You, you go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, even the great Bill Henderson couldn't win a title, title at uh, Baylor. Let's, don't ever lose sight of that. Correct. So, it's just, this was interesting to me. Wright is obviously worthy. Huggins is worthy. You can't be top 10 all-time in men's D1 wins and not be in the Hall of Fame. He's going yeah, yeah, there. The, the, the like, fact that Huggs isn't in already is – like, Huggs should have been in years ago. I don't understand that. Keep in mind, he's won all these games. He's never had the Kentucky job right. or the Indiana job or the Kansas job. Like, he's had the Cincinnati job and the West Virginia job. That's where he got most of his stuff done. Like, it is insane that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And, oh, by the way, he would have a national title. This best player didn't break his leg in the pyramid, which is now a Bass Pro Shop. Very possible. Shouts to Kenyon, shouts to Kenyon Martin. Uh, without a, And that would also, at minimum, you got to figure that would have got him a third Final Four showing. He's only at two. Um, like, I, I asked him one time. I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said, do you ever wonder, like, what would have happened if Kenyon didn't break his leg? He said, no. Like in his Bob Huggins monotone voice, that? he said no. 
And I said, really? He said, GP, I don't have to wonder. I know what would have happened. We'd have won the whole thing. Like that, he, he said, he said, that dude was not letting us lose. I never, I never wonder what would have happened because I know what would have happened. We would have been the national champions. I think he's right. Yeah. Hey, real quick. I think I, I, there's, there's a, if you were around and watching college basketball and you saw that team, like there was, that team had it. And, uh, and that is really one of the all time unfortunate injuries. Every injury is unfortunate, but in terms of a, like potentially just game-changing kind of team, uh, no doubt about it. Real quick on Hamilton. He's sitting at 599 right now with wins. He's, he's one win away from 600. Again, 58% of his uh, games have ended in wins, which is still good. It's just lower than everyone else on the list here. He's been to the Sweet 16 five times. He's yet to make a Final Four. I think he might have to in order to get there. Um, he's gone to the Big Dance 11 times. He has two regular season championships, one conference tournament title. That's fewer than others. He'll be 73 at the start of next season. I almost feel like he's going to need four really good years to 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 get to the, the next threshold, to get to another 100 wins. To me, he is – I find him to be the most compelling coach on the list because highly respected – uh, Florida, he is, you know, turned Florida State into what they call the New Bloods. Um, really proud history of coaching, even removing the NBA stuff. And yet, statistically, he is not stacking. Like, he doesn't have nearly the amount of wins as Rick Barnes. He doesn't have uh, the win percentage of even, like, Ben Halland, who's been to three Final Fours there. So, to me, the toughest one to predict is Leonard Hamilton. If he can get FSU to a Final Four... I think he's got a really, really good shot. If it doesn't happen there, you know, it's hard getting into the Hall of Fame. Like, you got to win it. You probably got to win a national title. And if you don't win a national title, you have to be significantly impactful and have a long lasting career uh, otherwise there. And Hamilton's almost like floating in this in between zone. And I think the next couple of years will uh, we'll ultimately decide whether or not he gets that call. Another guy we should note that I don't believe we mentioned who I think will be in the Hall of Fame someday, but he's only 55 years old right now. Billy Donovan. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I have him. Uh, how about this? He's not in. He's one. He's going. So he's going. He, he has. He was good enough with Oklahoma City. Won two national titles. He's going. How about this? I forgot to. Thanks for bringing him up. Like he, he'll definitely be there eventually. Brad Stevens, we both believe will get there. But how about this though? He took Butler to two title games, right? Then that's leaves, enough. Hall of Fame. You yeah. did that. You're in the Hall of Fame. Okay. I'm just saying, like. If Brad Stevens coaches for another 15 years in the NBA but never makes an NBA Finals, he's still going to the Hall of Fame? You take a Horizon school to the f championship game twice, you're in the Hall of Fame, okay. period, as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, it, listen, I, I'm not in charge, but that's where I would start my argument. I, it's, and it's a great argument to have. I, I just wonder if... And hell, Brad Stevens might win three NBA titles. Like he could be going there. Who knows? I know plenty of Celtics fans want him fired right now. So let's say he's out of Boston either this year or next year, or hell, he's there for another twenty years, whatever. But let's just say he's out of Boston, takes another NBA job, which will happen, and he lasts seven years there. But they, you know, make one conference tournament uh, finals, never make the finals. I don't know. I, he's so young. I don't know. I, I just don't like Donovan's going. To me, Donovan's had enough success. He's older than Brad. That's happening. He's won two titles. He's on his way. Brad should be on his way, but if we look up in a decade and he's just been a good, not great NBA coach on the whole, I just wonder. That's all. Uh, he's probably, no, I just wonder. That's all. He had to bet 5,000 shares oh. of Dogecoin. Brad Stevens, Hall of Famer someday or not.
How would you bet it? Well, I don't. <laughs> I own zero crypto. Um, but if I did own crypto and I had to bet one or the other, I'm betting on Brad Stevens. Yes. Yeah, I think I am too. I think I'm betting Brad Stevens to the Hall of Fame one day. But this Celtics thing is going the wrong way on him. Exactly. <laughs> like I, you know, I watch the NBA too. Like it, it's really uh, it's turned on him a little bit there. So hopefully he'll get that straightened out. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Perry Jones, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening. Today on College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Ooh, you hear what the CDC said last week? Who gives a damn about that? You see my new basketball hoop? That looked nice. Did you concrete that in yourself? No shot. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. No I, was, I was most impressed by the concrete. I was like, I wonder if he did that concrete by himself. I, I didn't. I, I had some help, but uh, man, it's been awesome. I, I don't know why I took this long. If you were debating getting a hoop in ground... And you can do it, commit. It's just, it's just wonderful. I, I've been hooping, and you can lower it. Shouts to Pro Dunk Hoops. It's, uh, it's awesome, and my boys are, uh, are, are all into it as well. So, we have, we have a hoop in our playroom. I know. I, we hoop, we hoop, we hoop every night. It's actually an amazing setup. Yes, it's very it's cool. Nice. It, I built only so that I could keep toys out of the downstairs of my house. Only motivation. My motivation was not to give my boys a big play space. It was to get all of the toys out of the living room because I'm tired of looking. Has at that them. been successful, by the way? Yeah, I, it actually has. All right. It, like every once in a while, they'll drip downstairs with a toy. I'll grab a laundry <laughs> basket, load them up, take them walk right back upstairs, and dump them out. <laughs> keep your keep keep your stupid toys out of my living room and out of my kitchen and out of my bedroom and out of your bedroom. <laughs> toys, you have a you have a massive playroom. That's where the toys go. They're following orders pretty good. Proud of them. Proud of them. Take your mask off. Take your mask off. Right. If you got two shots, take your mask off. That's what the CDC said. I know. Right. Fired up. Fired up. I'm, I'm going to a wedding Friday. Fired up. I went to a christening on Saturday. No mask. I didn't wear a mask. Nobody wore a mask. Everybody there was vaccinated, except for one person. She wore a mask. <laughs> if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Dead leg would too. So go do that. And then we'll talk to you again a little later on this week. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.